Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the amazing Elizabeth Harvey with me and she is a mother of three and has battled anorexia, depression and body dysmorphia and today she's joining me to share with you some of her journey. Thank you so much for joining me Elizabeth, it's so lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I'd like to begin with you giving our listeners an insight into your journey. Yeah, no worries. It's, it's almost like to look back on my journey, I think it's, it's been a long one. So um, I'm 35 now and it's, it's honestly hard to say that I've had an eating disorder for half my life now. So I was first diagnosed with anorexia when I was in high school um, in my senior years. Um, and I think like a lot of people, I just succumbed to the pressure of high school and the need to want to fit in, the need to want to succeed. And I think that coupled with some of my um, personality traits, like my perfectionistic side, um, a bit of my OCD side, that just, I think, manifested in eating disorder behaviours. And I think by the time I had realised there was a problem, I, it was almost a little bit too late. I had, I think I had, was already programmed in my mind to use certain behaviours and um, that I knew weren't the right ones to do and it was just really hard to move forward and move away from those when it seemed to be something that was fueling a need, I think, deep within me as well. So, you know, a lot of people talk about control and things like that and I think that was part of it for me but I think it was also... A drive for me and something that I thought that I was really good at, something that I could be proud of, which, you know, in hindsight is such a silly notion. But, you know, when you're deep in your eating disorder, it wants you to be the best. It wants you um, to succeed. And so it's going to do everything in its power to make that happen. Um, so over the years, I've had lots of different treatments um, that ranges from inpatient admissions to day programs, outpatient treatment um, and 
And within that, I've also had periods of my life where I've been well and haven't been fueled by eating disorder behaviours at all. Have you found that there was one particular, you know, out of all of the treatments that you've had, would be inpatient, day program, outpatient, was there anything within that that you found particularly really clicked with you or resonated? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, it sort of, I think, depends on the time and the need. So to have a medical admission, if it was something that was there to um, stop any symptoms from going any further and getting worse, then that was something that I really needed at the time. And as much as I tried to fight it, I needed it. And so that worked at the time. But I think even just being an outpatient in the community, if you were lucky enough to have something like that in your community in which um, I'm lucky to have, then that's been a really useful option. And I think above all, I think the main thing is finding that support and finding someone who you, you click with. And you might need to go and see a couple of different people and find that one person who's really going to click with you and you're going to feel the most comfortable with. And don't feel bad if, you know, I'd, I'd say to people, don't, don't feel bad if you do need to change because you really need the right support. And, um, yeah, you, you might just find that from someone else. I couldn't agree more. I think that therapeutic relationship is so, so important and really having that rapport with that person so that when you walk into that that therapy room, you feel like you can be really, really open and also that you trust and respect um, that, that person as well. I think it's so important and often, you know, there can be times where you know, you've felt that with a clinician for a number of years and then for some whatever reason, you feel that you need to change. And that's totally, totally fine. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's good to have someone as well who's going to challenge you and is going to challenge the eating disorder um, because that might seem like the hardest thing, but it's ultimately going to be the thing that's going to help you in your recovery. That's another really important one, isn't it? Because often I think we can shy away from the practitioners that really come in and directly challenge. I think that's something that I do as a recovery coach. I'm very in, much in there challenging that eating disorder head oh, fantastic. And yep. I'm doing that because I know that's what I needed. And if I'd had that earlier on in my journey, I wouldn't have suffered for so long. And so it's something that I think is, is really, really important to, to talk about and go, you know what, if you're being challenged and it's scary and it's tough and you come out of sessions feeling like, oh my goodness, then that means you're doing the work and things are shifting and changing and your neural pathways are changing and that's ultimately what needs to happen in order to be free. Exactly. Yep, 100%. How did... You know, with your depression and the anorexia, talk to me about the interplay between those two. I think I don't know which one came first. <laughs> to be honest, I think it was just something, I think they just intertwine with each other and were happening quite succinct with um, each other. And I think you, um, you may have felt this way as well, where you do just feel quite a despair when you're in your um, eating disorder. And I think it does, create a big mood shift um and so I think that just it happened for me and I think um a big part of that was being in a hospital environment as well and just finding that period a little more challenging um and 
So I think that's where the depression kind of reared its head as well. And I think, you know, you're, you're in an environment where you are, you're asked to think about things all the time and you have time to sit and think with your feelings. So, um, you know, that's not always a great thing, but I was really lucky. I did have support and, um, I, I had some treatment options available as well, um, which included medications and so, um, which I'm open to. And, um, you know, I think that had helped that journey as well. Yeah. How would you describe to someone who hasn't had an eating disorder what it feels like? What does it feel like to be in it? Honestly, it just feels like hell every day. It just feels like, I wouldn't even say it's a voice in your head. I think it's almost something that just becomes so inbuilt in you that your automatic responses are just driven by an eating disorder. It's just driven by that negative voice and you may well know deep down that what you were doing is causing pain to others, but it's just so hard to stop those behaviours um, because, like I said, it's just it's almost automatic. You know, there's times where you don't even get a chance to think, okay, you know, like, oh, well, I'll have this snack. It's, it's time. I'm going to have this snack today. Sometimes that doesn't even become an option. It's just automatic skipping a meal or something like that or, you know, really following the eating disorder. So that, that's how I'd kind of describe it, just having that inbuilt voice there. Um, that it's, Yeah, and it's, it's so hard to fight. And when you've had an eating disorder for a really long time, I think that might make it harder too when things are so ingrained in um, your brain and things like that. I couldn't agree with more with you around the fact that it feels inbuilt um yes there's a voice there but it's not like I often found that it didn't feel like it was an external thing I felt like it was within me and and it was this default mechanism and try as I might to not it it was almost it felt almost impossible to not engage in it and yeah that's right and I think it's all very well in hindsight to realize, oh, well, I, you know, I did have the power to do those things. But when you're in it, it is so consuming. It's all consuming. And it's even though, as you said, when you, you reflect and you go, oh, my goodness, this is hurting my family or whatever, it, whatever the collateral damage that it's having is, that's not enough to snap. It, 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 you don't suddenly snap out of it because, oh my goodness, look at the effects it's having. And I think that can sometimes be one of the most soul-destroying things is you know and you can see the damage that it's happen- having, not only to yourself, mentally and physically and spiritually, but also to those around you. And you see that and that upsets you and, and causes so much heartache and pain yet you still can't stop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've heard people um, talk about just like having that DVD playing over and over in your mind and until, you know, something kind of ejects that DVD, you know, you just go along with it. Yep, exactly. Have there been moments where you've felt hopeless and like I'm, I'm just never going to get out of this? Oh, new, on numerous occasions. Yeah, and I think that's where it takes intervention from other people to help pull me out. I wish it was something that I could say um, 
I was able to sort of do by myself. But when you are in that moment and it does feel so overwhelming and so overpowering, you just feel like you just want to give into it. And, you know, like you were talking about, all the support from and motivation within you, sometimes even that's not enough um, to kind of get you out. Um, I mean, it does take a lot of willpower as well. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a combination of things. But in those times where I felt most hopeless and most scared, that's where I've really needed other people to step in and kind of say, look, you know, you need to try a different treatment approach because what what we're doing now isn't working and, you know, and that's, that's been some of the hardest things I think to accept because, um, yeah, it's hard not to think that you're kind of doing it on your own, I suppose. Yes. Did you experience any judgment or stigma? Um, ooh, I, I think I've been exceptionally lucky to have a lot of support around me and I think the only, <laughs> I think the only stigma is coming from my own self. Um, I'm lucky as well. I, you know, they might, you know, if you call it thin privileged or something like that, I am naturally somebody who is in a smaller body as well. So um, when I'm at a naturally healthy weight, it's, you know, my body's not one that would be naturally scrutinised anyway. So I think um, the only judgment is mainly coming from myself. I do feel at times people might think, you know, well, shouldn't she be over it or something like that. But I think deep down, I, I don't actually think that's the case. I think most people who I've managed to open up to and it is becoming easier now that I think it is talked about a little bit more. I'm grateful for that. I think um, people are a little bit more open to say, you know, we know it's a mental illness. And so I think there is a little bit more understanding and compassion there, which I'm so, so grateful for because, you know, we're already so negative within ourselves anyway. Absolutely. And that's one of the big reasons why why I'm doing this is because I want us to talk about, I want us to talk about different experiences and for people to realise eating disorders don't discriminate and everyone's journey is so unique and that doesn't make it any, you know, your journey any less valid or worthy and there are so many different experiences and if we we speak up and we speak out and we bring those eating disorders out of the shadows and into the light, it is one of the most powerful things and it can actually save lives because people feel like they can come forward and they can get the support uh, that they need. And I, I really and thank you for being one of those voices today um, because it is, it's so, so important. And I think along with that, there's, there's just this groundswell of more information coming through and um, especially with, say, for example, EDGY, the Eating Disorders Genetics Initiative and, and our understandings yeah. around it being yeah. a biopsychosocial illness and things like that, people are understanding more, which is just so, so important. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I should have mentioned as well, I think sometimes I see being judged as a mother, you know, and I'm often questioned by others, um, 
you know, aren't you worried about how your behavior is going to impact on your girls? And, you know, yes, I worry about that every day. But, you know, and I'm trying to use that as well as that little bit of motivation to keep continuing on a recovery path. Um, yeah, you know, like you're right, we, we come from all different walks of life. We're all in different situations. You know, it's not just something that's happening to teenage girls anymore. It's, you know, happening across all ages of life as well and, you know, male, female, you know, all in between. Um, and that's it. The more you talk about it, I would just hope that, yeah, there's more people out there who are going to be open to reaching out for support no matter what circumstance and situation they're in. Were you still in the midst of your eating disorder when you got pregnant? Um. Do you know what? When I was pregnant, it was one of the times where I was actually the most carefree about my eating. Um, I think I had tried so hard to fall pregnant and to be in the best possible space in my recovery. And I just, I was so thankful when I fell pregnant and um, was basically carrying a baby. Um, I did go through loss just before with you know, with the first pregnancy. So I think second time round, it was just, I was very grateful. And um, I think I did give myself that ex- excuse that I was looking after someone else as well. But I was definitely throughout both of my pregnancies where I think I was just the most carefree and um, really embraced my body and really embraced the changes and um, which is quite surprising. But um, yeah, no, I, was, I, I loved being pregnant. What do you think it was that, you know, really created that shift for you and, and changed that relationship that you had with your body? Um, so I think, um, like I said, I think just having that, um, that belief, knowing that it wasn't just me that, you know, I was impacting with my decisions. It was somebody else. Um, that I was growing a little person inside of me. And then I think the more I was challenging that, the easier it was becoming and until, you know, that DVD got ejected and I was, um, you know, more comfortable and, yeah, the choices to not go with the eating disorder, like I said, it was just, it just became easier and, yeah. Did you have any complications in your pregnancy because of, um, you know, having had an eating disorder? Not so much. I think it took a, a long time to conceive. I think I had to, you know, I had to get a period back again, um, which I had lost um, through um, my eating disorder. And so um, that was probably one of the biggest things. I think it affected more so um, fertility and things like that. Um, but in terms of pregnancy itself, no, I didn't have any um, complications from my eating disorder, no. And our body's incredible. They can do these amazing they, things. Oh, they really are. Yeah. And in terms of your body dysmorphia, that didn't become heightened at all during during pregnancy? Not at all. No, it, it, it's so strange. It's so strange to look back on and, you know, it's, it sounds horrible. to back. I've actually had people joke, you know, you should get pregnant again you know, to fuel my recovery mindset again. Um, because, yeah, honestly, I um, 
I love being pregnant. I loved those changes and I just fully embraced it and I just was so great. Like I said, I was so grateful. I was so thankful and I just didn't feel like I had any hate on my body at all. I, um, yeah, I just embraced it. And how long was it after, you know, you'd given birth that things started to, you know, you, you started to sort of relapse, so to speak? Mm, okay, so within um, my pregnancy, so I had a singleton and then a couple of years later fell pregnant with twins. And so within that period of my first pregnancy and my second, I think there were, it was a small period where I think I had lost some weight through breastfeeding and naturally um, just looking after a child. And I think I was just facing a little bit of, I was actually facing criticism on my body because I, I had lost too much weight. I, you know, I lost my baby weight really, really quick. And I think, you know, just hearing those comments was something I, enough to fuel my eating disorder. You think it would have the opposite effect in that, you know, I'd want to, you know, sort of change that again. But no, I was just hearing these comments and had, um, you know, some focus back on my body again. And I think that was enough for me to sort of click on to, oh, okay. And then I kind of had this expectation. Well, people are saying that I'm too thin. So, okay, I'm going to go along and I'm, I'm going to get thinner. Like, you know, just it just kind of, it just natural, it just happened. And then again, I when we decided that we were going to try and pregnant a second time I think I really had to kick myself into gear and really focus again on what I needed to do to get my body healthy again and it was a little easier that time it hadn't been too long and so I think that made it that little bit easier and we were really lucky to fall pregnant quite easily that time and again I really embraced um, that pregnancy and especially with twins (laughs) That was exhausting within itself, but nothing that led to eating disorder behaviours in that time. I was, yeah, really focused on, you know, giving those babies the best possible chance at growing healthy and, yeah. I just wish people wouldn't comment on bodies. I really do. (laughs) You know, I just, it upsets me so much that people's comments around, oh, look at you losing your baby weight and all of that, It, you know, Look at what that fueled for you. And I don't even think I was really that conscious of it, to be honest. It, or it wasn't something I was focusing on. It was, um, yeah, it wasn't really until people were sort of bringing light to it that it brought light to it for me. So <laughs> you're hundred percent. Yeah, you're so right. Well, I think this is the thing. People might think that's a really harmless comment, or that it's some sort of compliment. But people just need to stop doing that. There needs to be such stop being such a focus on our appearances because it can fuel all sorts of things and trigger things off, um, which can have devastating consequences. And yeah, that's right. And what happened after the twins were born? And then I think, again, amongst the craziness of having three kids under three, it was um, just a, that was a whirlwind time within itself and I did not even have time to focus on my eating disorder. It was... Um, I I was focusing on being a mum and being the best mum that I could be and um, it wasn't until, you know, four or five years later when there was transitions with work and the girls starting school
school and things like that um, that I think, again, brought about a relapse. Again, I, I, I hate to admit it, but I don't think I do well. With, I don't deal well with change. And so, um, yeah, that brought about um, that need for control and purpose and direction again and wanting to fit in with um, my workplace and dealing with school and things like that. And, yeah. Change is such a hard one. It's such a hard one. And so many people who suffer with eating disorders also really struggle um, with change. You're absolutely not alone there. And I think it's a skill that you have to learn to cultivate in recovery. Um, Change and the ability to be able to be flexible and spontaneous and not to have everything planned to the nth degree. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for saying that with, yeah, that change is... um that it, it, it is hard for a lot of people, yeah. Have you, I mean, we talked before about people sort of saying, well, you know, what about the girls? Like, haven't, haven't you thought about that? Is that something that, you know, pre-people commenting on, obviously, you know, something that you, you've thought about and considered, is it something that you've, you've actually discussed with them at all? Like, how do you, how do you navigate it? Um, so I'm not somebody who actually will draw attention to myself or particularly if I'm in front of them or something like that. I have not once, you know, said something like, oh, I, I look too big in this or I look back in this or anything like that. I really try and not use that language with my girls. Um, and so the only time they really do get it to things is when I'm quite unwell and there's more talk within my family about, um, you know, going to appointments or, you know, the possibility of hospital and things like that. And that's where I really sit down with them and discuss, you know, the whys behind it and try and get them to understand a little bit. Um, and I don't, ask, I don't ask them to comment on what they think their bodies are like because I don't think that's helpful either. I don't want to draw attention to that. Um, Yeah, I just, I wish I could be a better role model for them and I try and do that even when I'm in the height of my eating disorder. I think just by still being really positive and trying to focus on other things and trying to be grateful for other you know, aspects of my life and, um, yeah. How has your eating disorder affected your relationship with your husband? Significantly, greatly. (laughs) Um, It has had a huge impact, I think, on on us as a a couple. I think it's been exceptionally hard on him, um, which is really hard to talk about. you know, but when you have somebody who has an eating disorder, you know, you have someone who who becomes a liar and deceitful and things like that. And I hate that I, I had done that to him. But with that being said, he has been exceptionally supportive. And whilst he still doesn't understand a whole lot, he's trying and he's he's very sympathetic and he will do what um 
he thinks he needs to do and he will ask, um, you know, the team that I see what he can do to help and things like that. And he's been willing to come to appointments and so that's been grateful. Um, I mean, so, yeah, I've been very fortunate with that. Um, yeah, but it is really hard and it's hard when you have somebody who, um, you know, will say, I can't even look at you. You know, that that's so hard to hear. Um, and even worse when you go and it, it fuels you even more, you know, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible illness where, you know, you think the things that should snap you out of things can make things worse as well. It's so counterintuitive sometimes. And I think that's why, you know, it's an enigma in a way. It's this maze that you're trying to navigate and it's constantly shifting and changing and you know, you don't know which way to turn and someone might say something, as you say, that you would think would snap you out of it, but it fuels it. And I know exactly what you mean. I did exactly the same thing, you know, with certain comments. And I think that's so hard for people who haven't been in it to to understand how that couldn't possibly make you go, oh my goodness, I really need to do something about this. Instead, it means you, you want to go further into it. And I think, the way yeah. that it warps our mind and manipulates the, the levels of manipulation um, is so difficult. And, and navigating that in a marriage, I think it's full credit to you both that you have a beautiful family and, and you're still together and able to, to continue navigating what is such an incredibly, incredibly difficult journey because, you know, it turns us into people who we're not. It changes changes us and, and the behaviours that we engage in aren't aligned with our values and what we care about and who we truly are underneath it all. And I think it takes such patience from partners to understand that, you know, this isn't us and please wait for us to reemerge and we're still here and look for those little sparkles that come through uh, when they do and, and hold on to them and, and try and try and get, get to those parts of ourselves because they're absolutely still there and we'd love them to be shining through more. Yeah, yeah. Have you come to, you know, a place where you can start to accept your body or are you still very much in the midst of being at war with it, so to speak? I think I'm getting a little bit better at accepting where I'm at and, you know, I'm I'm still not in a recovered body yet and I think I'm more, in a way, seeing more so what I'm doing to my body now and the damage that I could possibly do, be doing and seeing my body as not, a beautiful body at the moment and I can be honest about that like I don't like what I see and I think I'm a lot more open to wanting to change that now and to work towards a greater recovery um, whereas in the past I've always sort of put a lot of emphasis on my body and hating it but hating it for the wrong reasons like hating but thinking I still needed to you know lose weight and things like that um, and thinking that it would be beautiful, you know, to see bones and things like that. And I hate sort of talking about that, but um, 
I think I have come to a point now where I can see things a little bit more clearly and I think that's a really good sign. I think that I'm on the right path at the moment and I am going to just do everything in my power now, um, I think, just to really push for recovery and, um, yeah, to restore to restore my weight again and um, just go on with my life and not try and have this overshadowing it so much. It must be incredibly intense trying to do recovery, which is just this all-consuming full-time job basically, whilst also having three children. How do you how do you That's it, having that? yeah having three children having a having a job having you know I'm a president of our local multiple birth association like I have all these roles and all these things that you know I'm trying to fulfill and you know like you know I'll use the words of my therapist like they've said I'm a very high functioning anorexic like you know there've been times where they've said I honestly do not know how you are going to work every day and coming home and parenting and you know sometimes I think I don't know how I do either but I do I just I push myself and I have a drive to want to succeed at things and you know when that comes to my eating disorder it doesn't always have the best results clearly but in terms of work and that sort of thing and and even parenting um I give myself credit for you know performing well in those kinds of aspects of my life. Do you ever find that because you do have all those other focuses that that and I guess general busyness around you that you can quite easily shift your focus off recovery and and let it fall to the wayside sometimes and not be so much of a priority? 100% yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think just not having the time to prioritize appointments and things like that and using, you know, maybe work as an excuse or going out as an excuse to deviate from a meal plan or things like that, 100% it does kind of fall to the wayside a little bit, which which isn't a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's about finding that balance, isn't it, between obviously you do have all these commitments and you have a family and, and work and um, a relationship and friendships and all of those things. And it's about, right, how do we find the balance between still keeping those those things afloat but also making sure that you are actually making progress and and getting closer to freedom. Yeah, that's it. And I think I do and it's only been very recent again where I have come to that realization that, you know, I do need to prioritize my recovery at the moment. And if that means just having to step away from my work for a little bit, then that might, you know, that might be something that needs to happen or being away from my girls and my, you know, and my husband for a small period of time, um, you know, that's ultimately going to give me more time in the future. And that's, um, that's been hard to realise and hard to accept. But, yeah, I do know that I really do need to prioritise my recovery um, just in order to have a healthier future. And Yes, we've got to look at the... Look at the end game, that that long, long term vision, and go. Wow, you know, I I want to be here. I want to be, want to be a grandma. I want to be able to to live a long life and see 
you know, your goals and all their milestones and all of those things. And I think sometimes when we are high functioning, I was very much do, is it can seem like, well, we're doing all these things. So you know what? It can't be that bad, surely. Yeah, yeah. And it feels <laughs> it even more because it's like, but I'm doing all these things and I'm traveling and I'm working and I've got this and I've got that. And the eating disorder uses that to its absolute advantage. And I think what we don't see is, you know, the physical deterioration that happens over all those years. And then that's where we, you know, unfortunately see things like people's hearts suddenly stop and they might not necessarily be in, you know, the worst spot that they've been in in their recovery. It might actually be, you know, one of their, you know, in terms of weight restoration might be, doing quite well but then the body just goes I can't do this anymore Mm -hmm. and so it's so important that we don't let that high functioning aspect uh, pull the wool over our eyes yeah yeah you were so right there and I I was doing that for a really long time and that's it I did I had that you know that opinion that oh well things aren't that bad because look at everything that I'm doing and um no, I think we have um, part of our personalities that we want to be doing things and we want to feel valued and things like that. So we put ourselves out there, but it's not always um, what's the most helpful for, for us. Has social media had any impact on your eating disorder journey? It has, and both positively and negatively. As you know, like you know, eating disorders are exceptionally competitive. And so I think when you are faced with different bodies and things on social media, particularly when you're following people like fitness influencers and, you know, even in a recovery community, I think it can still be very triggering to see certain content. So, yeah, I am someone who's very guilty of going on TikTok and things like that and, they're so clever in the way that they use their algorithms to almost drive your content and the things that you see. And yeah, it it is hard because you do see certain bodies that you think are the ideal and, um, and that it should be easy to look like that, or you should be going to the gym every day, or you should be eating this and, you know, but really that's not true at all. If it's not helpful for your recovery to not go to the gym, that's okay. If it's not helpful for your recovery to eat clean and have protein bars and whatnot, then don't do it. Like, yeah, it's not worth it. What have been some of the positive aspects? I think for me, connecting with other people who are in a similar on a similar journey, I suppose. So it's been really good for me to connect with other mums who have... Um, who are battling an eating disorder or who have recovered, I think it's just really, really nice to have people who can truly empathise and sympathise and know what you were going through. So I am, I, I wish I just had that in my content on my social media and I think there will be a time where I might need to um, cut back on some of the things that I'm looking at because, yeah, I don't think it's going to be. Um, the most helpful for pushing forward in my recovery. I think it's about being really mindful and being honest with yourself. Is this actually helping? And it, at some points it might help, 
But then that might change and you might think, you know what, I need to actually just pull back and go off it for a little while um, because it's not helpful in this moment in this particular part of my recovery. Um, But I'm really pleased to hear you've found some community there that has helped to inspire you to keep fighting. Yeah, definitely. What has been the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? I think it's really taught me about relationships and I think just how pivotal relationships are to um, recovery and to just your everyday um, life, I suppose. I think just knowing that people are willing to help and are willing to listen if you give them the chance, Um, you know, and that might not be you might not be going through an eating disorder, but you might be going through something, you know, that you're finding hard or that you need a little bit of um, support with, reach out to someone because, you know, you you know you would do it as as someone. Like, you know, your eating disorder, I think, tricks you into wanting to, you know, keep things secretive so you're getting away with things. But, um, yeah, it, I definitely have learnt that um, just the value of relationships um yeah so so important yeah they sure are what are the best ways people can support someone who's going through an eating disorder I think just being willing to listen and not put judgment on that person um and and maybe even doing some research themselves um just to get a little bit of insight into what this person might be going through and yeah, not just think it's a phase or, you know, a diet that they're trying, you know, and yeah, I think just letting letting that person speak and allowing them to be open and honest and yeah, just having that communication there. It's so important to feel like you can speak really openly and honestly about what's going on, not be judged and also, especially when people don't understand just to have them not try and sort of grapple with it and be like, yeah, but why? And just let you talk and feel heard and held and for them to hold space for you. Yeah, and to allow you to feel valid as well. Yes, it's hugely important. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those who, like you, are still battling for their freedom? I think... Continue to reach out for support and to seek support and, you know, when you feel challenged, just to really ride with that and keep pushing forward and know that if you are feeling challenged, then that's a good thing because it means that, you know, you're one step closer to recovery because it means that you're one step closer to letting go of maybe a certain eating disorder habit or a trait or something like that. Um, so, yeah, just... Keep pushing forward no matter how hard it gets because we know that being in the depths of an eating disorder is harder. It really is. It absolutely is. And I think that's such a good piece of advice. Just keep going. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Yeah, that's it. And and no matter where you are at, like you don't have to be in, you know, you know, needing a hospital admission or anything like that. You could be just at the start of thinking that, you know, your disordered eating isn't isn't normal and things like that. And that's as good as a time as any, if not better, to, to reach out and seek support as well. 
um, you know, no matter where you're at, I think it's really important to, you know, early intervention on lots of levels is really important. So, yeah. It sure is. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open and sharing sharing everything with me today because I know that there will be people like you out there who will feel so inspired and uh, much less alone after hearing hearing your journey. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much. And honestly, just thank you for everything that you do as well. You are such a beautiful person, a wonderful advocate. And yeah, I'm always inspired by you as well. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's so lovely of you to say. Well, we're all here with Voices of Lived Experience to share and um, and help one another and lift one another up because ultimately, you know, we know that freedom is worth fighting for. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast. Brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? 